Uh, good morning. Uh, welcome to Hillview, if this is your first time. Uh, we are continuing a series in the Gospel of John, um, but today we're actually going to be spending half the message on quite an unusual topic. Um, we have, um, it's really good to be able to read the scriptures. Um, when we speak on a, on a Sunday morning or any other time, that's a bit like the the, the starter to a meal, the, the Forspeise, I think. Um, and then when we actually go and read the words for ourselves, I mean, Frau kommt aus Deutschland. Then we, when we actually read the word for ourselves in our own time, that is when God actually works on our heart. It's a chance to, to grow in our faith and grow in our understanding of the word. Now, one challenge is that when we go and uh, find other material, when we search online or read in books, uh, not everything is written from a Christian perspective. Sometimes we find things from atheistic, secular perspectives that can be challenging. And if we've not heard that before, that can be really difficult. You think, why don't we talk about this? Are, are we you know, worried or afraid to say these things out loud? Well, certainly not. Um, so we're actually working through, yeah, it's the same, uh, we're working through the Gospel of John, and for many, um, for many atheists, for many uh, secular perspectives, they would say that John is the last gospel, and that it's actually got a bunch of stuff that's made up, that Christians over many hundreds of years actually changed the story of who Jesus was. And so we're going to approach this from more of an evidence-based view to start with. So what, what is special and distinctive about John? So we find that compared to Matthew, Mark, and Luke, where you find a continuous story of Jesus' life, you know, from, from birth to death, with an orderly sequence of uh, parables, miracles, uh, John feels much more intentional. He has chosen each story, he has chosen each interaction to convey something about who Jesus is. There are only seven miracles in John, or rather seven that he calls signs, signs of who Jesus really is. Because that's what John is all about. He is focused on understanding who Jesus is, not just what he did. We would agree, probably, that uh, John it would be the, the last gospel that was written. It was written at a time when people already had knowledge of what Jesus taught, of the miracles that he had done, and it is far more focused on the person and identity of Jesus. And he clearly states that Jesus is God bluntly and repeatedly in many different ways. So to, to explore more of that, uh, the, the other viewpoint on this, we have to go a little bit back in time. So how, how do we understand where the Bible came from? There is a challenge. The first challenge is finding the right place at the right time. Um, if you are going to go and try and find an early copy of a text of a book from the Bible, it's hard. Um, the, the map there is actually all the markers, roughly, of where we believe the 12 apostles died. And so in the first 40, 50 years of the church, it had spread out all this way across the world. And you can imagine across this time, Christians are you know, writing and sending back and forth between churches, between regions, and it can be difficult to find exactly where and when to look for, uh, for a copy of Mark or for Matthew or Luke or anything else. Also, 
If you imagine trying to save something that will last for 2,000 years for somebody to dig it up again, that's hard. So it really is in, in dry and um, well-protected places that we find them. The other challenge is that every copy that we have is a copy, usually of a copy of another copy. If you found an original book of the Bible, you wouldn't be able to prove it. You wouldn't know it. And, and Christians across this time were passing these back and forth and copying it and sending it to a different church and copying it and sending it somewhere else. And so for a long time, there was a, a worry, a fear that what if it had all been changed along the way? And we don't have time to go into that in depth today, but I can tell you with confidence that the earliest texts we have found are an excellent match to what we had always passed on. That as far as we can tell, the Bible has never been intentionally changed by Christians to, to tell a, a different kind of story. And so in many ways, this is one of the best evidences we have for the text. So if you go back about 200 years, in the 1800s, the earliest copies we had were from the 4th century. There were 300 years of missing time that scholars were debating about what, what happened during those 300 years. And enter a guy called David Friedrich Strauss. He was a secular historian. Uh, he wrote a book called Das Leben Jesu, The Life of Jesus. He was the one who came up with the idea that actually the truth of Jesus is not really in the Bible, and you have to kind of read between the lines to find out what somebody who doesn't do miracles but is still called Jesus would really be like. So he created this idea of discovering the historical Jesus and the New Testament as being a Christian myth. And this is where kind of secular scholars began. This is where it all started. And in, in many ways, this is what uh, secular historians would say today. And so we've got two different viewpoints. For, for us, we would say that the biblical texts are complete and accurate. The New Testament was written between 35 and 90 AD. And that tradition, Christians, tried to capture true information about biblical texts that we were trying to capture the truth of everything at every stage. For what we call critical scholarship, that's the main term you, you hear, they would say the Bible is a collection of myths which must be deconstructed to find historical information, that biblical texts were written no earlier than we can prove. And that's actually a really <laughs> interesting one. Because if you, if you remember that, that problem of all the, the, the map and the time, if your earliest text is from the 500s, and actually it was written 500 years earlier, you, you can't prove that unless you find an earlier text. And so they were really just saying that if you can't find something that's early, it can't be any earlier than that, which is really not quite consistent. And they would also say that tradition is full of hearsay and is to be ignored. So here's where we began. Back in the 1800s, Christians believed that the Bible was written in uh, this, this kind of type period between uh, 35 and 90 AD. And uh, the, for, for secular scholars, they said it was this long period over you know, the first, second, third century where Christians were still kind of coming up with the content of these letters. But Interestingly, over the last 200 years, we have discovered many, many, in fact, more than 5,000 Greek manuscripts 
and many others in Aramaic and uh, Latin and other languages. And so here you can see we have found um, copies or portions of each of the Gospels in the second century that are earlier than the secular scholars ever said that it could be. And the fact is, because these are kind of copies of copies of copies, they point to texts that are much earlier. And so over time, the last 200 years, secular atheistic scholars, and that's maybe a bit small to see there in that color, I should have picked a better color, far more closely agree with what Christians have always maintained, that the Gospels were written in the first century at the same period when we would say that they do. There's still some disagreement there, but it's a lot closer than it ever was because we have discovered earlier and earlier texts and it's more difficult for them to say that it was all changed. And there are other texts that we have um, from other Christians at this time. Um, there's a Didache, uh, an early church manual, and there are letters from various um, disciples of the apostles, Clement, Polycarp, Ignatius, Papias. These guys knew Matthew, sorry, they knew uh, John and Paul and Peter, and then they continued writing to churches after they had died. And one of the interesting things is that on these other texts, Christians and non-Christians agree. We agree that these are written quite early by the right people at the right time in the right place. And you'll see, and again, it's quite small there off on the right, but actually the earliest evidence we have for these is from like 11 centuries later. That for, 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 for texts that are not part of the Bible, they are willing to accept that things, that things we don't have a copy of until a thousand years later are actually authentic and original. And meanwhile, Christian documents about Jesus that are only a hundred years out from the period, they question it. And there's a real inconsistency in the thinking there. And so, yeah, in, in conclusion for this part, uh, we have solid evidence the Gospels were written in the first century during the lives of direct eyewitnesses. So at the same time that uh, you know, Matthew, Mark, John, all the apostles, Peter, Andrew, all the rest were, were living and doing their ministry was when these documents were being written and circulated. And they had the people there who knew all about the events. We also know that the New Testament that we have always used is an excellent, excellent match to early texts and is, has not been intentionally altered. Literally, if, I, if you opened up a, a Greek New Testament right now, most of the page is not the Bible. Most of it is footnotes saying this part of the text is in all these different manuscripts, in all these different manuscripts. There, there's full and thorough evidence available for everybody to check and see that it is authentic and original. And finally, scholars disagree about everything, literally everything. There's nothing you will find anybody writing that nobody disagrees with somewhere. So I would encourage you, if you ever do come across something that is, is a claim that the Bible is not reliable, that so-and-so didn't write this, or it wasn't from that time period, it's really good to go and look for other perspectives, that uh, there are a, a good wealth of, of uh, deep and strong Christian scholars who have written and responded to all of these uh, concerns. 
So we should be able to, as we do our own discipleship, as we read our Bible, as we learn more about the pages of scriptures, uh, we can be confident in everything that is there and, and, and know that we can, uh, we can check these things. So that was more the kind of prelude. Today we are continuing in the book of John, uh, in John chapter 4, which we read from a moment ago. And we are continuing with Jesus in Cana. Uh, so, after the two days, he departed for Galilee, for Jesus himself had testified that the prophet has no honor in his hometown. So, when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. So, he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water wine. So, we had met uh, Jesus in Cana earlier, and he had uh, turned the water into wine at the wedding. Since then, we've been to Jerusalem, where he cleared the temple. We've met uh, Nicodemus. Uh, we've met the woman at the well in Samaria. And Jesus is returning to Cana, the place, uh, the, the, the scene of the crime, so to speak, where, where this amazing miracle happened before. And as he arrives, it says, and at Capernaum, this is 20 miles away, there was an official whose son was ill. So 20 miles away, already people are hearing that Jesus has arrived in Cana. Here is the man who, uh, who did this uh, miracle in Cana before. And when this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So, Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. And at this point, if you were standing around this situation, you, you, your jaw falls to the floor. Like, what? Why, why, why is this Jesus' response? That the man has come here with his, his son who is in urgent need. And why is the response Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. It's almost like a, like a judgment, isn't it? Until we get to the next verse. The official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. And Jesus said to him, Go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. So when Jesus had said, Unless you see signs and wonders, you won't believe, that was not the, the full limitation of fact. That, that's, that's not what was going to happen. Jesus wasn't saying, no matter what, you will never believe unless you see. Jesus' words were there to challenge the man. That he had come to Jesus, he had walked or perhaps gone on a donkey for 20 miles, needing his son to be made well. He wanted Jesus to come with him and go back the 20 miles to where they could heal him. But we don't know. Would the child have died before they got back? We've got no way of knowing that. But one way or another, Jesus says to him, will you be limited by what you see? Is it only if you see signs and wonders that you will believe? Because just a moment later, just after Jesus says, unless you see signs and wonders, you'll believe. And Jesus says, go, your son will live. The man believes Jesus, takes him at his word and goes. 
As he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better, and they said to him, Yesterday, at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, Your son will live. And he himself believed, and all his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come to Galilee. John is very selective in the content of his gospel. There are these uh, seven miracles that he names. The first one was when he turned the water into wine without touching it. In the second one, he heals a boy who is 20 miles away without touching him by the power of his word. He goes on to heal a man who has been lame, who has been unable to walk for many years with the power of his word without touching him. He he uh, distributes the, the bread and the, uh, and the fish to 5,000 people without touching them and physically doing the miracle. He goes on to heal a blind man who has been blind since birth without touching him. He resurrects Lazarus from the grave by saying, Lazarus, come out. And the final sign of John is when Jesus walks on the water. And I don't think he could really do that without touching the water. John has selected his signs in such a way that these are things that Jesus did by the power of his word. And they knew Jesus could heal. He had healed other people because otherwise the the father wouldn't have come to him in the first place. They already knew he had healed other people by this point. John has chosen these because these are where Jesus heals by the power of his word, showing his authority. If you remember the beginning of John, John says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created by him, and not one thing was created that was not created through him. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. John teaches us about Jesus who brings life in everything he says and everything that he does. The challenge is, are we only to believe when we see signs and wonders for ourselves? There is a place for evidence. There is a place for checking and testing. We've seen this morning, we can be be confident in our faith. We can check and test the foundations thoroughly. Jesus says at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Um, that his teaching is like a rock which we can build our house upon safely. We can, can, you know, test and check that rock. But once we have entered into that discipleship with him, once we are trusting in him, his word is life to our souls. We need his word. We need to read and understand and bring this word into our souls. It is important to to read these words before we ever speak on them, after we speak on them, during the week, to bring his word up again and again, to talk about them over lunch in the afternoon on, on a Sunday. Jesus' word is what brings us life. And this is the message end to end of John, that Jesus is who he claims to be. He is God by the power of his word. He can heal people 20 miles away, 100 miles away, however long it has to be. He has authority over all things. And so will we believe in Jesus and take him at his word and realize the life that will bring to our souls?
Before we close, um, for anybody who is uh, still exploring or interested in the, in the evidence case behind uh, Christian faith, there's a fantastic book called Cold Case Christianity. This guy, uh, J. Warner Wallace, um, he is a cold case homicide detective. So in other words, um, he finds uh, murders that have happened a long time ago that there is only you know, recorded evidence for, and he determines if it was a murder and who committed the crime. And so he applied that same method to faith, to the Gospels. Could he, based on the evidence that we have, prove that Jesus lived, died, and rose again as we claim that he did? And so I'd really encourage this to anybody who is who's seeking on this front. But it's always the beginning. We always begin in, in matters of, of evidence. And it's important for us to, to go forward once we have that evidence by learning and growing in the scriptures. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are king. We thank you that you um, sweep aside all opposition to the coming of your kingdom. That for thousands of years you have come and you have enabled your kingdom to come to earth in our lives, in our communities, in the midst of our deepest needs. And so we pray this morning, Lord Jesus, that you would help us to cling to your word with all of our hearts and all of our souls and all of our beings. Help us this week to open your word afresh, to discuss it with our friends, with our family, to seek you in every single word on the page. We love you and pray that you would bless us and be with us now in Jesus' name. Amen.